Please be seated. We're in a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. The focus of our gospel shifts a little bit. We have been introducing, reminding ourselves of Jesus' character, and the focus of this gospel passage shifts a little bit, and the, the focus is on the response of two people to Jesus. So we move from an introduction to Jesus to a response of two people who have been introduced to Jesus, and faith is the common factor between these two people. Uh, faith, verse 34, uh, the woman is commended for her faith. Your faith has made you well. And in verse 36, Jesus encourages Jairus along the same lines. Uh, continue to have faith. Do not fear. The response to Jesus is a response of faith. Now, faith is a big word. It's hard to make it through a church service or a hymn or a passage of the Bible without encountering that word faith. This passage can help us understand faith a little bit better. This passage can help show us uh, what is the occasion for faith? When does faith start? This passage will show us a little bit about the content of faith. In other words, what do we need to believe in? What is the content of our faith? Third, this passage will show us what is the necessary intensity or strength of your faith? Do you have a strong faith? Do you have a weak faith? This passage will, will shed some light on that. And fourth and finally, we're going to see the challenge of faith. So, four points. The occasion of faith, the content of faith, the strength of faith, and then the challenge of faith. Let's jump right in. The two people in our character, in our passage, let's think about them. You cannot find two people more different. One a man, one a woman. One wealthy. It was one of these uh, strange uh, notes of history that uh, in those days, someone who was wealthy would have a professional mourner. Sounds very strange to us, but that's exactly what would happen. So you'd have mourners that would come uh, to any occasion of bereavement. And the fact that this man, rich man, Jarius, showed up and there were mourners at his house suggests that he was a man of some resources. The woman, on the other hand, was flat broke. She had spent all that she had. Uh, another distinction was social standing. A synagogue ruler sounds like someone who had some uh, hefts within the community. Uh, this woman had none. Uh, she is described as a woman with a flow of blood, and we need not go into the details of what that entails. Suffice it to say that this was not only a physical impediment, which it was, but it was a social impediment as well. The taboos of day, uh, ritual purity, and what was allowed, and what could be the type of person you could be associated with, with would have rendered this woman very much on the outside looking in. They were different in every way. Wealth, sex, social standing, the only thing that united them was that they were both in pain. That was the common factor between the two. One pain over the loss of a, uh, a daughter's life, the potential, and one just physical pain and social ostracization after 12 years. Now I wish that the Bible was full of Jesus welcoming and encountering well put together, financially secure, attractive, physically fit men and women. That is just not what we encounter. The type of person that is welcomed by and received by Jesus is the type of person that is typified in these stories. People who are in crises, people who are at the end of their rope. 
We have this phrase, a crisis of faith, by which we typically mean that, gosh, I'm going through a crisis of faith, I'm not sure what I believe about this. And a crisis leads to a loss of faith. I think from the Bible perspective, we have it the wrong way around. It's often a crisis which leads to faith, a crisis that calls out to faith. Because when you and I are in trouble, we always look to something. I always want something to help. When you're sick, you want something to give you health. When you're stressed, you want something to relieve stress. And there are a variety of ways and there are a variety of different places you can turn to for help, some of which are helpful, some of which are not helpful. Wine, beer, alcohol is a low-hanging fruit for a place that we turn to for consolation. And you know this as well as I do, it just does not do a great job. I think in the Bible you'd find that beer, wine, well not beer, wine, fine for celebration, it's just not good for consolation. Don't waste your sorrows. Don't turn someplace that's not going to help. I make a habit of reading through the Psalms. Uh, and occasionally I'll, I'll read this book. I've given this book to a few of you. It's a, a commentary by, uh, on the Psalms by Tim uh, Keller, who's an author I appreciate. And on the chapter titled, Don't Waste Your Sorrows, he comments on one of the many Psalms in which the author is encountering sorrow. He's in crisis mode. He writes this, everything difficult indicates something more than our theory of life yet embraces. I didn't think this was going to happen, right? Everything difficult indicates something more than our theory of life yet embraces. However, the author of the psalm does not fall into pity or bitterness because he has an understanding of life that encompasses some suffering and turns to God in the midst of it. You hear what he's saying? He's saying two things. Number one, crisis, get used to it. It's part of life. Financial, health, familial, personal, social, moral, you name it. If you're not in it, you soon will be. I don't, don't mean the sky's going to fall down every time you step outside, but just uh, two weeks ago, I got the phone call, David, everything's okay, which, as you know, if you're a parent, that means everything is not okay. <laughs> Neither the unnamed woman nor the man wasted their sorrow. They turned to the person that could help them. So for our Opening point, what's the occasion of faith? Sorry, friends, it's most often crisis. You don't like crisis? I don't like it either. But that is often the soil for faith. Don't waste it. The content of faith. The woman, we'll focus for the next few points on the woman. She had heard about Jesus. That's what we find in verse 27. Let's just think about her. She had no firsthand experience. She had not sat under his teaching. She had not encountered him. She had only heard about him. And we are in the same position as her. We have no first encounter experience of Jesus. We are those who must hear about him. I reference this little gem of a book, not so little, Principles of Theology. You're going to get a fair dose of uh, theologians from the 1600s. Just get ready. But this, again, from this book. He writes, The condition of our knowing about Jesus centuries after his historical appearance is that we must know about him. You cannot know him directly, you must know about him first. And for this perpetuation and transmission, we must have an objective body of historical testimony. The supremacy of the Bible is 
due to the fact that it gives us this. The supernatural figure of Christ is enshrined for us in the written word. The revelation of the person of Christ is found in the Bible in its clearest, fullest, and purest form. And that's why we treasure the Bible. That's why we stand for the gospel reading. It's because the Jesus that is enshrined here in the words of Scripture is, according to the Scriptures, the same yesterday and today. The same person who is a friend of sinners, who welcomes the sick, who seeks the lost, the compassionate Christ, is the same Jesus that is alive and well today. You can still know about him. You know about him through his word. Further, I just want us to observe how little she knew about him. The other translations suggest that she heard rumors about him. In other words, she didn't know much. What did she know? We can only speculate. Maybe that he was compassionate, that he was kind, that he was a friend of sinners. Whatever she knew, it was enough. And I just want to draw a distinction for us. The difference between knowing about and trusting in. And there's a big difference. A lot of times you think you need to know a lot about. Nothing wrong with knowing a lot about, but there's a difference between knowing about someone and loving them and trusting in them. This woman knew very little. Let me tell you one little story of someone who knew a lot and trusted a lot. So it's a story about Karl Barth. He's one of the most significant theologians of the of the 20th century. He wrote a book called Church Dogmatics. It is five volumes long. It is 9,000 pages, six million words. Six million words. I read one chapter, and I still am not quite sure what he said. <laughs> It is so big that his publishers called the original version the White Whale. Like, just that big. And after lecturing at a seminary, an an attendee asked him, what in your judgment is the essence of Christian faith? Karl Barth said, I believe I can summarize it in a few words. It is this. He wrote, Jesus loves me, or he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus is so vast that the impact of his life cannot be contained in six million words. But the essence of faith is so simple that it can be articulated in six. Jesus loves me, this I know. What did the woman know? She probably knew something along those lines. Jesus could help me. She was an example of someone with little knowledge, but just enough to trust. And that, friends, is enough. So, we looked at the occasion of faith, which is often a crisis, the content of faith, which can be very simple. I'm not suggesting we should be content with the nursery rhyme faith, but here my point, the essence of the faith is, is fairly simple when you get right down to it. Jesus can help you. He loves you. Now I want us to look at the strength of faith. How strong is your faith? You ever asked that question? I remember asking that question as a young person. Do I have a strong faith or a weak faith? I want us to observe that this woman got it all wrong. Everything that you're supposed to do about faith, she she struck out. Her faith was timid. Uh, She approached Jesus from... uh, behind, hoping to remain unnoticed. 
her faith was superstitious. Right? We don't believe in relics, do we? We don't, we're not supposed to touch stuff as if they, we don't have magic rabbit's foot as if we're supposed to touch those things and they make us better. Jesus, or excuse me, the woman had a superstitious faith. Let me just touch his robe. Don't you want to say, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're, you're supposed to approach Jesus, hands up, I trust in you. That's not what she does. Here's the point. It is not the strength of your faith or how your faith is expressed, but it's the object of your faith that matters. George Michael did us no favors with his song, You Gotta Have Faith. I love that song. But faith only makes sense if it has an object. Faith in what? Again, There is no merit in faith. God doth, don't you love that word? God doth justify the believing man or the woman, yet not for the worthiness of his belief, not for the strength or the weakness of his belief, but for the worthiness of him who is believed. We are not justified by belief in Christ, but by the Christ in whom we believe. Faith is nothing apart from its object. Its only value is that it leads us to him. And she had enough faith to lead to him. Timidly held, superstitiously expressed, and it was enough. And I hope that as you think about this woman, this expression of your faith, I hope you think, gosh, you know what? Faith is something that I can have too. Faith because I am currently in crisis. I am currently at the end of my rope. I, like this woman, don't know all there is to know about Jesus, but I know that he loves me. I, like this woman, wouldn't want to make any boast of my faith, but I have enough faith to turn to him, which gives us hope that the words that Jesus told this woman can also apply to me. Son, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Three encouraging notes about faith, now one challenge as we come to a conclusion. And now we shift to the man, the, the ruler of the synagogue, Jarvis, who comes to Jesus initially trusting, believing, and then is, encounters these challenge, words of challenge, keep on believing. This is verse 36, bad report, your daughter is now dead, don't bother. To which Jesus responds, do not fear, only believe. In other words, Jesus, Jairus had the, enough to start, enough to come to Jesus, and now the encouragement is keep on coming, keep on trusting. The challenge of faith is simply this, it's endurance. Because I hope I don't need to tell you that this is not some sort of prescription. What the Bible is telling us is not, you know, when you come have a crisis, turn to Jesus and voila, done. Your crises will all go away. That simply does not happen. Faith in Jesus does heal, and I believe that. But the healing that we trust will come is a healing that comes at the end of the age. And in this age, it's crises after crises after crises. Some of those crises are going to get better. Some of them are not. And that's just the way it goes. The challenge of faith is to endure. Over a cup of coffee this week, someone made the observation that we value fireworks, not faithfulness. 
think that's right. We like Instagram. We don't like Enduragram. Jesus didn't care about fireworks. You notice every time he does a miracle, heals someone, casts out a demon, he says, shh, don't tell. Because he, he doesn't care about the spasmodic. He doesn't care about the, uh, the, the, the passion. What he cares about is endurance. The type of endurance that's typified by this woman who at the end of her rope nonetheless still turns to him. The type of faith that's typified in another story by a widow who keeps knocking on the door, and keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. The Apostle Paul, who has described himself as, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The challenge of faith is to endure. So let me conclude. This passage tells us about faith. The true nature of faith passage tells us that parables and miracles and exorcisms do not ensure faith. Religious education, family background do not ensure it. Family ties do not create it. Yet some, out of utter need, have managed to grasp it. A diseased woman now well, a synagogue official uh, whose daughter is now raised, the secret once hidden, but now revealed, is that God's kingdom is here in Jesus. And the criterion for being in or out of that kingdom is trust in him as a serious, personal, and continuing commitment. A word of prayer as we close. From our, a song that we will sing during communion. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. Jesus said if I am weak, I should come to him. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. For the Lord, he is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always turn to Jesus. Jesus, strong.